A tragic accident didn't stop a college lacrosse star from returning to the field. She's now a runner, a Paralympic champion. My life has definitely prepared me for the game of Survivor. I was a three-sport varsity athlete. I earned myself a Division I scholarship to play lacrosse. I was a standout player. I started every single game. I was a leading point scorer. And then I was in a moped accident that caused me to lose my left leg above the knee. Welcome to Flame Bears, Keeping the Fire Burning. I'm your host, Jamie. This week, we spotlight USA national record holder, Noelle Lambert from New Hampshire. We hear how losing her leg led her to a new chapter in which she has refused to let her accident define her. Noelle discusses the Born to Run Foundation and her hopes for the future. My name is Noelle Lambert. I'm a U.S. Paralympian. I run track and field for Team USA, and I am the American record holder for the 100 meter. I also compete in snowboarding competitively, and I am the founder of the Born to Run Foundation. So Noelle, how did you get into sports? I would say my first athletic memory, I grew up with three older brothers. So very early on, I was kind of forced into sports just because they were all playing. and. I would say my, my first memory is me playing on my brother's sports teams. I mean, it wasn't even my uh, age group and I was on their team and I like to say I was playing a lot better than they were too, so. That's awesome. I also had an older brother growing up. So how did yours impact you? Growing up with three brothers, I mean, I was always outside playing in the dirt with them, never really playing with dolls. Uh, my poor mother really wanted a girl and wanted a girly girl and that's not what she got out of me. We're big New England sports fans, so Patriots, Celtics, Bruins, Red Sox. I mean, every Sunday we were watching the football games. I was a huge Celtics fan growing up. I remember the 2008 NBA championship and I was like obsessed with the team. I mean, I was never sitting still. I was always playing sports. I was always doing something active and then just going to school and kind of hanging out with my friends. Because family played such a big role in Noelle's life, I needed to sit down with Noelle's mom. Mrs. Lambert, can you describe Noelle when she was little? As a child, she was very stubborn, fun-loving. She had a lot of friends. Sports was her life. She, she from the age of, I think, three, when my 28-year-old son was playing rock soccer, she'd go to the practices and the games, and she'd just run around the field, and the coach said, finally said, all right, we'll just... We'll give her a uniform, suit her up, she can play. So from that age on, she tried basketball, soccer, softball, lacrosse. She loved it all. So, you know, from a very, very young age, athletics was probably, you know, the first thing that she thought of when she woke up in the morning and the last thing she thought of when she went to bed at night. Noelle, you've described your amputation as a massive turning point in your life. Can you tell us about it? So the summer following my freshman year of college in 2016, I was involved in a moped accident. I sideswiped a dump truck coming in the opposite lane as me and my leg was completely severed on the scene. Um, I was completely conscious, I was awake. And the first thing I thought of it was lacrosse and it was sports because at the time I was playing division one lacrosse at UMass Lowell. I just came off of a really great freshman year. I was starting every single game. I was on the all rookie team for my conference. So I was really excited for my future. 
And I never really went through a period of my time where I wasn't being active or playing sports, being a three-sport athlete, then transitioning over to playing collegiate lacrosse. So I was basically laying there thinking, what am I going to do? Because I'm not going to be able to run, let alone play lacrosse. I might not even be able to walk. Mrs. Lambert, I'm sure that day has to be seared into your mind. Yes, so I got that call that day from a woman. She was a bystander, and she had came upon the accident, and Noelle did not have her cell phone on her, and she asked this woman if she could call me, and that woman told me that my daughter had been in a very bad accident. I knew Noelle had rented a moped, was planning on it, and I was frightened for her to even go on one because I've been to Bermuda many times, and I, you know, I've been on them, and I've heard about, you know, the tragedies that have happened, you know, with pedestrians, you know, getting in accidents. So when she said she didn't know she was going to survive, I was immediately, I screamed, and my husband came in, and so we thought we were going to have to go to Martha's Vineyard which is where the accident occurred. So we just jumped in the car. We got a flight from Boston to Martha's Vineyard, but on the way there, we got a call from the hospital saying that she was being med-flighted to Boston. So I said at that point, I said, is she going to be all right? She said, yes, she's going to survive. She'll be okay. So I was in shock, obviously, but when I found out she was going to live, I said, okay, she's lost a leg, but we can deal with it as long as she's alive. So my husband and I were at the hospital when she came in and she was crying and saying she was sorry and and she'll never play lacrosse again. And I said, that's okay. You're going to do great things with your life. And the surgery went well. And then from that point on, she had many visitors in the hospital and then at rehab. I mean, at one point, I think there were up to 50 people (laughs) a day coming in to visit her. And I think that gave her strength and you know, to see the support she had around her, friends, teammates, coaches, her family. And I think from that point on, she decided she wasn't going to be, what was me? She was just going to move forward with her life. And she, you know, at that point, she was saying, I want to play lacrosse again. I think I'm going to be able to play. And I think her being able to have something to look forward to, her life isn't over. She can still play sports and do the things that she loves, that was really, I think, a turning point for her to be able to move forward with her life. Noelle, and then you went back and continued playing, right? My first game back, it was during my junior season. So after my accident, I realized that insurance companies will only cover an everyday walking prosthetic. They will not cover a running blade. So I actually had to apply to foundations because a specialized prosthetic can range anywhere from ten to thirty thousand dollars depending on what type of leg you want or need and i'm you know i'm I'm a college student i don't have that type of money i'm not gonna you know bankrupt my parents and so i started learning about these amazing foundations out there and i applied to a a couple and i heard back from one and they told me that it was going to be about a six-month process so i didn't receive my running blade until at the end of my sophomore year so returning to play again and basically learning how to run again, learning how to basically cut back and forth and just play lacrosse again. I mean, it was very challenging. There were days where I wanted to give up, but I mean, having the support from my teammates and my coaches were 100% the reason why I was able to do it because if it was up to me, I probably would have quit, you know, day one at the first practice. But returning and running on the field again, 
I was scared to death, but I was looking over at my teammates and they were encouraging me. And the best part about me playing again was the reaction that I got from my teammates and my coaches because it wouldn't have been possible without them. So I like to go back and like watch the video because I was able to score a goal in my first game back. And the best part about it is the reaction because I literally was trying to sprint to my bench with my teammates to kind of celebrate with them. And that was just a really amazing moment. And I was just thinking, okay, what's next? Like, what, what else can I do? And I mean, luckily I still have my senior year and I knew I was never going to be that athlete I was before that player with, you know, being the quarterback of the offense. That wasn't what was important to me. What was important was kind of having a role and being part of a team. And I, that's exactly what I did. I had a great role. I got some great playing time my senior year. Meanwhile, while you were in college, studying, recovering from your accident, getting back out there playing, you founded the nonprofit Born to Run Foundation, specialized specifically in prosthetics for young adults and children. As if you didn't have enough going on. Yeah, so I decided to start the Born to Run Foundation uh, actually my junior year of college. I had received my running blade and I had also received another specialized prosthetic, uh, my waterproof prosthetic from a different foundation. So seeing the work that those foundations do for amputees such as myself, that really inspired me and it motivated me to want to give back and to take everything that I've learned and help other people. And I had the mentality if I could go through everything I did and do the things that I'm doing now, then 100% so can you. So I started the Born to Run Foundation and it focuses on donating specialized prosthetics to amputees in need that just want to live a fun and fulfilling life, that don't have to worry about it. So whether it be running, swimming, snowboarding, motocross, basically anything you can think of, that's what we strive to help, we help others. And so it has been amazing to see where it has grown these last few years and all the people that we've been able to help. I love being a part of that moment because it's like a full circle moment for me. We gift a prosthetic and I was that person just wanting a prosthetic so that I could live the life that I want. So seeing the reactions from them and their family is just, it's incredible, especially kids. I mean, because they'll literally put their prosthetic on and start running like they've had it their entire lives. I mean, it took me literally two weeks to run without being harnessed on a treadmill. So it's like a jealousy moment, but it's so inspiring to see and it's like creating a community because especially if we help kids I mean kids grow out of prosthetics when they start growing um, and we make a promise that we're going to help them for the rest of their life so it's kind of it's, it's really cool to kind of create like a community where if somebody has the same goal I can reach out to that one person say hey listen we donated to this person they had the same goal as you they're doing that so it's it's been really amazing to see the support that we've also gotten from every single person that has helped donate to gotten it to where it is now. Do you have a favorite memory from your foundation's work? It definitely has to be that first donation that we gifted. We gifted a running prosthetic to a three-year-old little boy and it was our very first donation. So we were all excited. And I remember being in the prosthetic office and he just put the leg on and just started sprinting down the hall. And I mean, seeing the reactions from his family, from even him, like just the big smile on his face, that was something that I'm never gonna forget. And even to this day, we've still been able to help him and to kind of see him the last few years grow and everything that he's doing now, he's playing all these different sports. So it's, it's incredible to see. And Noelle credits her mom with 
much of the foundation's success. I run the foundation, but my mother is like the superstar, superhero that has a full-time job that basically did it when I was in college. And then, I mean, my busy schedule, she was able to do everything. So she's also up there. I mean, she's the reason why it is the way it is now. Mrs. Lambert, Noelle mentioned you've been a huge part of the foundation. Tell us about your involvement. So back in 2016, my brother-in-law had the idea that, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could start this foundation for Noel so that she can help other limb different individuals and it could also help her too. So 2016 was when we had the idea and then 2017 was when we got certified as a nonprofit organization. And the board was made up of my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law who is an attorney, one of my good friends, me. Noelle wasn't officially on the board until the last couple of years. And my brother-in-law, who has his own business, he has some connections as far as people that run nonprofit charities. So they got involved and helped us get you know off the ground. And to date, we just did our 25th donation yesterday. And we have three or four within the next few months. So Noelle's the president, I'm the vice president. And we do probably most of the work as far as, you know, Noelle's the face of the foundation, but the two of us, you know, we get the applications, we contact the prosthetic companies, get estimates. So Noelle, you've caught us up to speed through college. How did you get from lacrosse to track and field? When I graduated, I mean, I was kind of just like, all right, I. I've only been running for basically two years. I don't really want to hang up my athletic career just yet. And that's when actually someone from the U.S. Paralympic track and field team in World reached out to me saying, hey, have you ever thought about running track and field? And fun fact about me, I hated running. I did everything to do with it. Never competed in an individual sport before in my life. It was always team sports. So I was thinking, okay, well, it's all going to be on me. How am I going to be able to respond? So... That was really challenging. I mean, kind of transitioning over and I was completely by myself. I literally just saw the first track meet that I saw and I signed myself up for it. It was in Arizona and I just decided to show up. I had one month to train for it. I literally showed up and asked people where the 100 meter mark was because no idea, didn't know really how a track worked. Um, I was always used to running like 100 yards, not 100 meters and then I remember when I got there, I saw that the entire U.S. Paralympic National Track and Field team was going to be there and that I was going to be competing against the reigning national champion. And I immediately just wanted to be like, all right, maybe maybe this isn't the race for me. I'm going to embarrass myself. But I was just like, you know what? Screw it. What's the worst that can happen? If anything, she's going to be in front of me, motivating me to go faster. So that'll be great. And I just remember when the gun went off. I mean, I'm a very competitive person, so... I, I mean, halfway through the race, I kind of realized that I was starting to pass her. And then when I crossed the finish line, not only did I win, but I also qualified for the national team in that first race. And I always credit that to doing run tests the two years prior with all my teammates and running with people with two legs, because if I ever came in last, I would have to do 10 burpees. And then if I ever beat anybody, they would have to do 10 burpees. So it was always really preparing me for a moment that I never even thought would be possible. And then it just kind of worked out. I found a coach in Boston and I remember showing up to my first practice and I was just like, I mean, I already, I already beat the national champion. Like I already won a race. This is great. This is going to be easy. And I remember just doing like my first rep and he just started like 
tearing into me saying my running form was terrible, that like I ran like a little cross athlete. So he humbled me very quickly. So it's been great and I'm still, I'm still with him today. Connect the dots for us. So how did you go from this place to Tokyo? I was super excited for Tokyo coming up and then when COVID happened and then it was postponed, I kind of just viewed it as, all right, this is a whole extra year to get better and kind of work on the things that I'm not comfortable with, that I'm not as great. Because if Tokyo happened when it did, I would have been competing less than a year. So I was just telling myself, you know what, you need to take this time. Even if you're by yourself, you need to put in the work, you need to put in the effort, get better at things that you're not comfortable with. And so I was literally at home doing at-home workouts. I was like jumping fences, trying to sneak into tracks, trying to like get some reps. And luckily, I mean, I view it as a blessing in disguise. And I just kept telling myself like, this is all gonna pay off, it's all gonna work. And when the season came around, I felt like I was more comfortable. I still hadn't competed actually a lot. I mean, I think when I went to Tokyo, I had only actually competed like eight times, eight or nine times. So it was still, I was still considered like a rookie, but Having that extra year, I was feeling a lot more comfortable and confident. At a big stage like that, you have adrenaline to kind of help you, and then you kind of black everything out. I mean, it's just like you have a big game and you're showing up for it, and then you're just like, all right, all the nerves are gone. Let's let's do this. <laughs> How was Tokyo? Well, it's funny because I flew to Tokyo, and when we landed, one of my teammates that I was traveling with actually tested positive for COVID. So I immediately had to go into quarantine so I miss opening ceremonies. Luckily, I was still able to go to practice, but I couldn't go near anybody. I had to like keep a safe distance. And so I was in quarantine for about a week. Luckily, I mean, we were there for two weeks. I wasn't competing until like the very last day or like the day before I had to leave. So I still had time in the village. And once I got to the village, it was great. I mean, but it's, I wish I was able to experience the full thing. I mean, I literally saw Tokyo through a bus. The only time that I was actually seeing things were in the village or at the practice facility that we were practicing at. But I didn't really even notice how there were no fans in the stands. Like I was just so zoned in and locked in. So getting to compete on that stage, I felt everything. I mean, everything was amazing. I didn't even notice that there was nobody in the stands. Because what I kept thinking of is this is being nationally broadcasted and so I know that everybody is watching this right now. So I know my family back home, they're having big watch parties, they're all watching it. So that was kind of making up for the fact that there was nobody there. But I just remember the night before, so I had semis in the morning and then I had to qualify and then finals were gonna be at night. Two weeks leading up to this one day and the night before I could not sleep. I mean, I was trying to take melatonin, I just kept looking at my phone every hour and every hour just kept going on. I remember calling like my boyfriend and my mom and they were like, you need to sleep. Like you're literally have to get up in like three hours. And I was just like, I can't, I just can't go to sleep. I was like trying to meditate. So I remember I like got maybe two hours of sleep, woke up just because I was waiting for that moment. And then also like, I felt like I was in Tokyo for a month just because you don't have anything else going on. So I was also really excited to go home the following day after I competed. So I'm also thinking about that. And I'm just thinking to myself, I need to qualify for finals. Like I need, and if I ran the time that I ran at Paralympic trials, I wasn't gonna make it to finals. So I knew I had to run an American record and that very race. 
So I remember showing up to warm up and my coach that I was working with was there and he just like looked at me and he was like, you look like hell. So like they're trying to like pump me with caffeine, like get me a coffee, just kind of wake me up a little bit. They were like, you don't look great. And as a track athlete, I always find this moment where I'm in the blocks and I'm ready, like I'm getting ready for the gun to go off. And I'm just, I always think to myself, why do I put myself through this? Because it's not a fun feeling. Like you're just terrified. You're terrified because all this work leads up to like 15 seconds. And if you fall start, you're done. So, but then once the gun goes off, like all that goes away and you're like, okay, it's just a competition. And so I was able to qualify in that first race. And once that first race was done, it was like weight was lifted off my shoulder. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna have fun with this. Now I don't care because I'm competing with the best of the best. And like all these other girls that are competing have been doing this a lot longer. So I'm just gonna have fun. And it's so funny because we're in the call room and I was the only person from the US in finals. And everybody else, like there were three people from Italy, a couple people from Switzerland, one person from Japan. And so they just didn't speak very well English. And I'm like trying to communicate with them in the call room when they're all like locked in. I'm like, all right, we're gonna do this. <laughs> but once finals happened and then like once I crossed the finish line, I mean, I was trying to break like the 16 second mark. I was trying to get into the 15s and I was able to do that. So I looked up and just, I was extremely happy. And I was just like, you know what? All right, I'm ready to go home. And it was cool because actually right when I crossed the finish line, NBC grabbed me and then they had like a live thing with like a watch party back at home with like my family and everything. That was really cool. I mean, it was like, I think like 8 a.m. their time because my semis, I mean, it was morning for me, but it was like 9 p.m. at night, my semis, and then waking up the next morning for everybody else, they're watching my finals, so it was cool. I was like, kind of like, okay, I'm sharing it with them, kind of, but yeah, and then the next day I was on a plane home and I was like, okay, I'm ready to go home. But returning only brought on the next adventure for Noelle, one she welcomed, Survivor. Welcome to Survivor 43. Yeah, so it's actually so funny because I didn't even apply. They found me, but my mother has been the biggest diehard Survivor fan there is, has never missed a season, never missed an episode. So she got me into watching it, you know, at a really young age and was telling me for years. I mean, when I had two legs, she was like, you won't be able to do this. You're like, you're too negative. You'll be complaining. People will vote you off in a second. But then when like I lost my leg and like I kind of matured a little bit, she was telling me for years, like, you have to apply, you have to apply. And I'm like, mom, I've never seen an above knee amputee on the show before. Why would I apply and go through all of that if it's not worth it? So, I mean, I kid you not, I have kept up with the show for the last 10 years, have been a huge fan watching it. And then when I was in Tokyo, I received a DM on Instagram from the head casting director. And he literally just DM'd me, he was like, hey, have you ever thought about being on Survivor? Introduced himself. And I was like, this has to be fake. This can't be real. And he was like, no, literally give me a call right now. Like, I'll explain everything to you. So I called him and it was completely real. And I was just like, you realize I'm an amputee, right? He's like, yeah, we've had amputees on the show before. And I'm like, no, you've had below knee amputees. I'm an above knee amputee, completely different. I'm a lot more high maintenance. I can't just go on the show with one leg. And he was like, listen, he was like, we love you. We love your story. We love everything that you portray. Production, everybody will be behind you 100%, but let's just start with getting you to do an audition tape and submit it. And then we can go through the whole application process. And he was just basically saying, don't get ahead of yourself. And he's a great guy. I mean, 
you literally will go on the call with him for two minutes and he'll tell you like to your face yes or no if you're cut for re like reality TV <laughs> so it was very nerve-wracking at first so I go through the whole application process and everything was over zoom because of COVID typically they brought everybody to LA but luckily with COVID, I mean, I was actually traveling a lot because I was competing for snowboarding and it was my first year competing and I was in Europe the whole time. And I remember they tell you, they're just like, listen, whatever call you get, a FaceTime, answer it. Even if you don't know the number, you have to answer it. So I remember I was in the Netherlands and it was like 11 p.m. my time and I got a FaceTime call and then I answered it and it was Jeff Probes, like literally just Jeff Probes. And they just tell you, they're just like, listen, Every round, you just have to make them fall in love with you. So I'm like just shooting the shit with Jeff Probes for like five, 10 minutes. And I'm just like, just relax, keep it calm. But luckily I was able to get through the whole application process. But it was so funny because I'm going through this whole process and I'm in the back of my head. I'm like, there's no way that I'm actually gonna be picked that I'm doing this show. And it was like late February, there was a blizzard outside. And I remember getting a text from the head casting director and he was like, hey, can I give you a call quickly? And I was like, oh, I don't think this is good news because I feel like if I was getting asked to do Survivor, like they would do like a Zoom call. Like everyone's like, you're on Survivor. And I was like, if he's just calling me, probably, probably bad news. So I, he calls me and he's like, oh, what are you up to? And I'm like, nothing, I'm kind of stuck in the snow right now. And he was like, interesting. He was like, well, do you want to leave the snow and go to Fiji because you're on season 43 of Survivor? And I remember just being like, okay. <laughs> I was like, wow, oh my God, all right. Um, and I remember like looking over at my boyfriend, like finishing the call and then looking over at him and being like, I don't wanna do it. I was scared to death and I never actually thought that it would be a possibility. And I was telling myself, how am I gonna be able to do all this? How am I gonna be able to do the food? How am I gonna be able to not be sleeping in a bed? How am I gonna be able to do these physical challenges with my prosthetic? I know that Survivor is a very big social game. So me walking two seconds into the show, everyone's gonna look at me and be like, nope, sympathy vote, you're done. So I was just like, okay. And so like he calls me a couple days later and he's just like, all right, now we gotta talk about your prosthetic stuff. And I remember calling my prosthetist, who's an above knee FPT himself, who the poor guy, I mean, I've tried so many different things. When I told him I wanted to play lacrosse, he was like, maybe we should just focus on running because he's an MPT himself and his son played lacrosse. So he knew how hard it would be and I was like, no, I want to play lacrosse. So I proved him wrong there. And then like I transitioned over to sprinting. And then I went, I went to snowboarding and now I'm doing this. So I called him up and I'm like, hey, have you ever heard of the show Survivor? He's like, I've heard of it. I've never seen it before. And I'm like, great. Um, well, I'm actually going to be on it. Um, he was like, well, what do you have to do? And I was like, basically like starve, live on a beach, make a shelter, live in the water. And the funny thing with prosthetics is sand, salt water, they do not mesh with prosthetics, the components. You know, your things will get rusty, things will break. And then me not eating means I'm gonna lose weight, means my leg is gonna lose weight. And I need to figure that out because if I did nothing, then I would have probably been done day five because my leg wouldn't have stayed on because it's all suction. So he's like, okay, and like, he's just on the verge of wanting to kill me. And so I go into my prosthetic office and every single week, sometimes even twice a week, we were working. I think I had like a month, month and a half before I was leaving. So I had to get a whole new casting system with my prosthetic so that I could feel comfortable. 
came up with all these different ideas. Luckily, production was like, whatever you need, production will hold on to it for you. So like when you start losing weight, like I'll have, I'll have to put pads in my socket. So luckily they were amazing with that aspect, but I was still scared to death. And I was still telling myself, I don't want to do this. I would literally wake up in the middle of the night and not be able to sleep because I was just telling myself, I don't want to be embarrassed. And the big push that is the reason why I was like, okay, stop complaining, is like, I told myself, if I don't do it, who else is gonna do it? This is an amazing opportunity to create a positive impact for the amputee community, for the disabled community. So I really need to do this and I need to do it. And like, I'm a competitive person. So I was going out there to actually win the freaking thing. And so, I mean, just having that title too of the first above knee amputee, it's amazing. And I mean, fast forward to after the show and after it's been aired, everyone who's been reaching out, I mean, people who are amputees that believe that they can do things now, that even people who are able-bodied, they see me doing that and they're like, all right, maybe we shouldn't have this stigma of just because someone's disabled, that doesn't mean they're incapable of doing things. But it was an amazing experience. It was the best experience of my life because it really teaches you so many different things about yourself. I mean, I think the first eight days that I was on that island, I was only eating coconut. I did not eat a single thing other than coconut, which was like terrible. And I can't even look at coconut now, but I mean, it was just amazing. I mean, being a fan of the show, getting to see how everything is filmed, how everything is done. I mean, it makes you appreciate the show so much more because so much goes into it. And the people, I mean, even the, my castmates, you don't expect to go out there and like be friends with anybody, but you create such amazing bonds with people. It's what you sign up for. But like, I think like 95% of the things I actually said on that island did not get aired. So it was, it was just a cool experience. I felt like I was out there for like literally six months and it was only, I mean, I only lasted like 19 days. You mentioned that your takeaway from Survivor has helped you as an athlete. Yeah, I would say my biggest takeaway from it is just like actually believing in myself because, you know, as a person, everything new that I try, I always doubt myself. And the people that usually lift me up are my teammates, my coaches, my loved ones. And so going out there, I knew that I was going to be by myself and I knew that I had to actually do things on my own. So it was just like, can I actually do it? And just getting through everything and being able to do these physical challenges and do them pretty well. I mean, I was very proud of myself and I was just proud that I was able to create a positive light for the amputee community. This season is all about what happens after the games. So as you shared, you went on Survivor but then it was go time yet again in another sport. Is that right? Yeah, so actually when I got home from the games, I mean, we typically take like a month or two off. So it was about September when we got home and I just reached out to a coach in Colorado, just kind of packed up all my stuff. Me and my boyfriend, we drove, we drove out there, started competing. And then I remember getting a call from my track coach. He was like, all right, practice next week. And I was like, crap. So one thing I forgot to do was tell him, all right, I'm in Colorado right now and I'm training for a completely different sport. So I just remember telling him that I will keep up with my track workouts. And I kind of, in the beginning, I really was. And luckily when I went out to Colorado, it was in end of October. So it wasn't a ton of snow yet. So I would find a track and I would practice there. And I knew that I had an off year coming this past summer. I knew that there wasn't world champs or Paralympic games. So I thought this would be an amazing opportunity to do it. 
So then once I started competing for snowboarding, I just completely focused on that. And then it was around January, I was able to qualify for world championships and then I got home and then I picked up training for track again. And then a couple months fast forward and then I get the call from Survivor and then I have to tell my track coach, okay, well, I'm gonna be missing a lot of the track season because I'm gonna be competing on Survivor. And he was just on the verge of killing me, like just like firing me as an athlete. I mean, it took a lot of convincing for him to be like on board with it. But like our deal was, okay, if I go on Survivor, I still have to go to national championships. National championships was a week after I got home from Survivor. So I get home, I'm so out of it. Just like everything that happened, I'm still like processing everything completely out of shape. I literally lost like 15 pounds, all my muscle, trained for a week, flew to Florida and got my ass kicked at national championships, which I knew was gonna happen. But then like, I still continued to train. I competed a few more times and I actually got great times by the end of the season. So I kind of made him feel a little better. But I remember when I got back, he was like, okay, can we just please focus on one thing? Like, can we just focus on track? You have Paralympic Games, World Championships next summer, and then the Paralympic Games the following summer. Can we just take these two years and focus on track? And I was like, absolutely. So I actually have been good so far. I haven't been competing for snowboarding this winter. But you know, if I ever get a call to do another TV show, I have to say yes to it. And he knows, he knows, but it's gonna be very difficult. Especially how I was preparing myself for Survivor. I was in full-blown training, but I was also only eating once a day because I was trying to get my body prepared to do these physical challenges on an empty stomach. And so I never told him how I was preparing, how I was training, just because he would kill me. And I would just practice and lift early in the morning. And then I would eat around like two o'clock. And then that was kind of my schedule. So it's been very nice to kind of just be relaxed and focus on one thing, not juggling a million things at once. I've been competing in indoor track this season. So it's been great. I feel like I'm finally back to normal. I'm finally getting my stride, which is nice. But yeah, he still likes to, you know, make fun of me all the time because I like to do a million different things. You've done so much. What are you most proud of? I would say the thing that I'm most proud of is, you know, after my amputation and losing my leg is just never letting that one moment define the rest of my life. and continuing to play lacrosse and transitioning over to a brand new sport and just doing new things that I could have never even pictured or imagined myself doing. I would have to say I'm most proud of that and just the person that I've become, all the lessons that I've been able to learn and being able to give back with my foundation. I would say that's definitely one of the most important things that I do. So yeah, I think just proud of the person that I've been able to become so far. Noelle, what are your hopes for the future? I think my hopes for the future is just continuing to pave a path for the amputee community, something to make myself proud, continuing to do things that are out of my comfort zone, and you know, all eyes on Paris 2024 for the Summer Paralympic Games. Um, but just, you know, keep having fun. I'm that person that likes to try new things. And if you tell me I can't do something, it's just gonna make me wanna do it that much more. So I think those are the biggest things. You know, continue to have fun because you only live once, YOLO. What one action do you want our community to take after hearing your story? I think the one action that people should take, especially just from my story, is with whatever you do in your life, 
you always, you know, want to be proud of yourself. You never want to go through the motions. You want to give it 100%. And with whatever you do, you always want to find your why. Why, why are you doing this? Why are you happy? Why does it motivate you? And then use that answer to help motivate you to achieve your dreams and achieve your goals. Rome wasn't built overnight, so just realize that it takes a process. So just enjoy it, have fun, realize that there's gonna be ups and downs to everything, but just to keep moving forward. Thanks for tuning into Flame Bears, keeping the fire burning. For more behind the scenes coverage, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter by searching for Flame Bears. If you identify as a woman and are passionate or love sports, define sport however you want. Apply to our community spotlight program with the link on our social media bio. It takes two minutes and we would love to help elevate your journey via our social media channels. We all have a story to tell. We would also really like to thank the Communicator Awards for the recognition of our season three work. The Communicator Awards is dedicated to recognizing excellence, effectiveness, and innovation across all areas of communication. They are the leading international awards program honoring talent in this highly competitive field. Thank you to the Academy of Interactive and Visual Arts who sanctioned and reviewed the awards. We're deeply honored. Last but certainly not least, thank you to my amazing teammates, Marissa Potter, Madhu Ganda, Sakshi Singh, Ravi Rao, and Lizzie Michael. Thank you to Dino Catano and Emma Minto for your ongoing support. We'll catch you on our next episode.